Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Cashflow Equals Accounting. This is your host, George Aguilar, and today we have Jerry Britt, a real estate investor from Tampa, Florida, who runs 365 Property Partners. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you, George. It's good to be here. Well, Jerry, I usually like to get a little bit of a background story from our guests of how they got started in real estate investing. Okay. Uh, yep. Mine's probably different than anybody else's, but you never know that I, uh, I owned a manufacturing company. And, uh, when I bought that company, the person I bought it from kept the building and was my landlord. And I'd always intended to own it about 10 years. And I was approaching that I was in the sixth or seventh year and looking down the road and thinking, okay, do I want to, I had an option to buy the building. Do I want to buy it from him? sell the manufacturing company, be somebody else's landlord for passive income. What was I looking at? The building was worth about a million dollars and I didn't have enough to buy it outright in cash. So I looked at, well, by the time I buy it, have a mortgage and rent it to somebody, it won't be enough income to, to, to be all I do. So I started exploring. If I took the amount of money I did have available and put it into real estate, uh, residential real estate, how could it work for me? And it was a better numbers game but I didn't know anything about residential real estate. So then I set out to learn just to find out how do you value homes? How do you price repairs? What do you have to learn how to do that? I started doing that in 2014 and I sold the manufacturing company in December of 2016. And I've been doing this full-time since then. I was sort of doing it full-time in 16, sort of overlapping the two. So kind of to elaborate on, on that part, right? So, at what point after you, so you basically took the education and the training, right? At what point did you feel like, you know, I know enough to go make a deal now? Um, well, I, I, I sat in my first class in August of 2014, and I bought my first property on October 7th of 2014. So I, I, I was, you know, less than two months in and, and had my first offer accepted and, and felt I was heading in the right direction before that just didn't find the right property. Yeah. So you basically moved fairly quickly. I, so- I did. And, and I bought three properties in 14, although that's, that's stretching a little bit. I signed a contract on one on new year's Eve. We didn't close on it in 14, but, okay. uh, but my third property I put under contract on new year's Eve, uh, hence the name of our company, 365 property partners. We work year round every day of the year. We've, uh, We've bought or looked at properties on almost every holiday. Hey, it sounds good. You know, it's so, when the people are available. Yeah, I, I do hear that all the time. It's the best time to contact people. Now, Jerry, tell us about your first deal. You know, specifically what was challenging, what went according to plan, and what didn't go so according to plan. You bet. My first deal, uh, I I was on a real estate networking group on Facebook, and had a market area, a suburb of Tampa that I was looking to buy in. And so I started searching past comments for any of the four or five towns that were in that market area and researching those people and then reaching out to anybody who had commented on a property in one of those towns. And there's Brandon, Valrico, Sefner, Riverview, towns like that. And, and like if somebody six months ago, this, this actually happened six months ago, somebody had asked about a private lender and they were in one of those towns. So I private messaged the person who asked and the person who answered and introduced myself and just started 
communicating through social media with other investors in the area I wanted to be interested in. And so my first deal, which was in uh, uh, on Derbywood Lane in Brandon, Florida, uh, a guy called me and said, hey, you don't know me, but you've been chatting with my wife on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and my conscience was clear, but I, but I said, well, okay, I bet it's about real estate, but you're going to have to be more specific because I've been chatting with a lot of people's wives on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but he was also a, a, an investor who, like myself, had taken some classes. He'd taken the same group of classes that I took. And uh, rec- that was recognized through the exchange that I'd had with his wife. And uh, he still had his full-time job and had been putting in short sale offers. And he had completed one rehab and was almost complete with his second deal. And he got two short sales accepted at the same time. And he didn't feel with his current job that he could handle two rehabs at the same time. So he sold one of them to me. Uh, and, and because it was a short sale, he had to buy it and resell it. So he had to double close as opposed to assigning it, you know, and assigning, I know, you know, George, but for purpose of somebody listening, if, if, if you're able to assign the contract, I could have just paid him a fee and taken his place on the contract. But because it was a short sale, he actually had to close. And then my company had to buy it from his company. And, and to make the numbers work, he accepted $4,500 as his fee for finding the deal for me. Um, I bought the deal and uh, practically everything that could go wrong did go wrong on that first deal. Uh, the, 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 it was a veterans administration loan and the pool was green. And so we knew it was going to need some pool work, uh, but we didn't know how much pool work it was going to need. So we reached out even after the offer was accepted to see if they would consider taking 3000 less because we were going to have to spend money on a pool pump that didn't come on. And they said, no, we can't do that, but we can put in a new pool pump, which is strange. You know, for guys like you and me, if whether I pay for a pool pump or give you a discount on the price, it's all the same money. But for a government entity, well, we don't have any money in the we can accept the lower price deal bucket, but we do have some money in the we can pay for a repair bucket. <laughs> so, so they paid for repair. Now, what really turned out to bite us is they didn't put the right pool pump on. It didn't work. And ultimately, we had to put another new pool pump on anyway. Um, so there was an expense. We thought we were being spared. We weren't. Um, once we got the pool clear, it was no longer green. And you could see it. The pool had to be remarsited. So we remarsited the pool. And once we got that done and we had clear water in the pool while we were still doing the rehab, uh, one of the pipes between the pump and the pool underground had a leak. So we had to track that down and dig a hole and repair a leak. So practically everything that could go wrong with a pool did. Uh, separate from that, this, this house had a, a separate building big enough to be a two-car garage, but it did not have a garage door. It just had a couple of walk-in doors. And we found out from talking to the neighbors that somebody had actually, one of the family members had lived in that building, but there was no plumbing in it, just electricity. So obviously they had to come into the house for the bathroom, shower, and things like that. Well, when we went to get our permit for this building, uh, couldn't get a permit because there was already an open permit on the property. They, we looked into it and they had never had a final inspection passed when they built that extra building. So checked out what that meant. It had, uh, it actually had had a final inspection and it failed it. Uh, it was not properly anchored. Basically get a dozen strong guys 
stand around the corners of that building and pick it up and you could have walked off with it. It wasn't attached to the ground. Wow. <laughs> and we looked at all kinds of options. You could get an engineer to redraw it. We could jack it up six inches, pour a trough of concrete, set it back down on that concrete after it cured and bolt it to the concrete. That would have made it pass. Or we could have um, uh, put straps over it like you do on a mobile home. That would have made it pass, but we weren't interested in fixing it that way. In the end, uh, our landscaper said he, he wouldn't mind having the building. He would just take it, and we were paying him already to do sod and some landscaping on the property, and he would do the extra sod necessary, clean it up, move the building all for free in exchange for the building. So that's what he did, but it was too big to move in one piece, so when they cut it in half to move it, it basically collapsed because of termite damage. <laughs> oh, man. So he ended up hauling it off in pieces. I paid him for the sod, and he uh, he he donated the labor to put the sod down. I could have made him stick to his word and provided the sod for free because he did get the building, but he didn't get what he thought he was getting. So I, uh, you know, and because I thought I might want to use him again, I thought I would treat him fair. <laughs> so so I paid for the sod. He put the sod down. The building's now gone. But now we don't have an outbuilding that we thought we had. We didn't put a lot of value in that. But if I were going to move into that house, I'd love to have an outside building the size of a two-car garage for extra storage. So um, we lost that value. We spent all that money on the pool. Uh, and then when we get all the way near the end, we think we're done. We're having an open house. There's bees hovering around. And it turns out there was a hive of bees between the first and second floor. We had to have a bee service come in and remove those and then repair the damage in the floor that that made to – or the, actually in the ceiling of the ground floor that it made for them to get to the hive. Uh, we're all done. We got the house sold. And the couple's from Texas. They went by to look at the house one more time before they head back to Texas. And I get a call from their realtor saying somebody has broke into the house and stolen the appliances and all the staging furniture. Oh, my God. Uh, and it turns out it was an ex-employee of one of the subcontractors. We found that out later because... Not only did they steal all of that stuff that we had to replace, I spent $6,000 on appliances for that house. Uh, and then they broke tiles on the stairs, taking the refrigerator out. So we had to do repairs. Uh, I had to pay the $1,000 deductible for the staging company. Their insurance co covered the rest of the loss that they had. And uh, then the day we get ready to get it back, uh, Famous Tate's getting ready to deliver it. And they call their list for contact for that house and said, hey, we're already bringing your appliances back out. Are you ready? And nobody had broke in the first time. So we knew somebody had used the lockbox. So we've changed the lockbox code. Somebody uh, this time, stuff gets delivered. That night, somebody broke the latch on the sliding glass doors out in the pool and stole the appliances again the very night they were delivered. Oh, uh, my God. And that time we had a clue who it was because Famous Tate had called someone to say we're ready to deliver the appliances and they got stolen the same day they were delivered. Damaged the floor again, had to repair that. All in all, I spent $8,000 on that house after it was done and we had it under contract. That buyer backed out. We had uh, another couple of months from when they backed out till we actually got it sold to somebody. Uh, it ended up being the right lady. The, the buyer that bought it had been, she walked by that house on taking her daughter to elementary school every day. We were just two blocks from the elementary school. Uh, she'd seen us rehabbing it. She was praying that that was going to be her house one day, and the details worked out right. So it was great for her, but uh, we had two or 3000 worth of expenses because of the termite damage, about $10,000 worth of expenses because of the pool, $8,000 worth of expenses because of the uh, theft at the end. 
And in the end, I sold that house and lost about $3,000. So, so what I'm interested in knowing, Jerry, is that that was your first deal, right? Where anything that could go wrong seemed to have that, gone wrong. That's correct. How, how, do you, how do you make the decision to continue down this path? You know, yep. knowing that your first deal wasn't, you know, kind of was, you know, a bad taste in the mouth. That's a good question, George. And there's two factors that go into that. The first factor is that was the first deal I bought. It was the third deal I sold. Okay. So because of the problems with the pool and because of the problem getting a permit up front and because of other things, we didn't get started on that job. We already had the second house bought and we're working on it before we had permission to start working on that house because of the permitting issues up front. And then because of the things with the pool, it took us longer to get this house done. So this, this house took way too long. I ended up owning it 13 months. So, uh, so, so interest holding cost, of course, contributed to the loss too. There was, uh, we, we spent a hundred on the house and 60 rehabbing it approximately. So, so that 160 was 1600 of interest for eight months too much. So it's that, uh, $10,000 worth of additional interest. So you got 10,000 of interest, 8,000 for the theft, 10,000 on the pool, 3,000 on the shed, add, add all those up and it starts to add up to real money. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but that was the third house we sold. So at least we didn't lose money on everything we did from the beginning. And I was able to survive that because I owned a manufacturing company and had other uh, income coming in. I wasn't counting on this for my living. And, uh, and, it, and it also, while I lost 3,000 on the deal, I, in cash... I didn't come in 3000 upside down. It's going to be a little peculiar for most people, but I had contractors as customers in my manufacturing companies. One of my contractors who owed me some money was who I used to do the work on this one. And in the end, the 60,000 that I paid them, I paid them 45,000 in cash and gave them a $15,000 credit off of the money they owed me. So that was really my money. I'm fully entitled to that money, but I don't have it yet. It's something they bought for me a while back. They, weren't able to get paid in a timely fashion. So while I truly spent 60,000 by giving away 15,000 of their debt, I only parted with 45,000 in cash to get that done. So I, the, the, the 12,000 that wasn't the loss that sort of brought us even was cash. I got to collect by paying myself sort of one of my companies paid my other company that I got to collect that I otherwise would not have collected in that time frame from that company. So from a cash standpoint, I wasn't hurt as bad as somebody who didn't have a credit for the contractor that owed him money. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that's the right contractor to use. I learned that eventually too, because the reason they couldn't pay me is because they had trouble financially a while back and those kind of things tend to snowball. So in the long run, that didn't become a contractor I stuck with a long time, but but I had every kind of headache you could have. Uh, but again, it was by the time I sold it, I had already sold two other deals. Okay, so so you basically knew that the formula worked. You just maybe had to be a little bit more careful about certain things like a pool and uh, building yes. attached to it, right? Yes, yeah. Because in fact, the one thing I learned on that one is I, I learned a lot of things. But the one thing I learned on that one that I've applied on every one of the forty some that I've bought since then is. I, I was shocked to learn that there was an open building permit. And how did the title company not tell me that? But a, a, a lien search is different than an open permit search. Title, 
title companies don't automatically run a search to see if there's an open permit, but for less than a hundred dollars, they will. So I, I learned that in the future. Now, now I also learned enough. Now I can go on the city website myself and tell if a title of a, if a prop, property has an open title permit right now, but I don't, it's not best use of my time to do that. I just have the title company do that. So I've, I've never been stuck with that again. A couple of times we come across an open permit. In fact, the most recent house I bought, you don't mind me jumping from the first one to the most recent one. I bought a house that I had under contract for $81,000, but it had an open permit on a roof. And I looked into it and now I know the city much better. I know contractors much better. And it had gotten a new roof put on it in 2016. So just three years ago, it actually got the permit in 15, but they didn't get a plot, didn't, didn't get put on until 16. But that permit had never been closed out. So, okay, why is that? Well, I can look at the house and see it's actually had a roof put on it. So I checked with the city to find out, did it fail its final inspection or did it never get a final inspection? And it had never gotten a final inspection. And one thing I learned, because I've been doing this for a while now, is that in 2012, the roofing standards in Florida were changed. They made you use bigger nails and closer together. Well, it turned out they were so much bigger and so much closer together, they were splitting the rafters. So in 2013, they got changed again to not so close together. So now I'm wondering, is this a roofer who's behind the times on knowing what the standard is and did he do it wrong? So the person who had this house for sale, of course, was uh, didn't know anything about the permits and, the, and those kind of things. So I ended up, uh, there was a realtor involved. So I was negotiating through the realtor. But I said to the realtor, hey, I tell you what, if, if, if the roof is wrong and I have to tear it off and put a new one on, it's going to cost me about $6,000 to do that. Uh, I'll take a chance. And if they'll take $3,500 less for the house, I'll take it as is with the open permit. And uh, if they, if I'm right, all I have to do is open a new permit, hire a contractor, open a new permit, have the city come out and inspect it. And if it passes, I'll spend about a thousand dollars between hiring that contractor, opening a permit, paying for the inspection and closing it out. And I'll come out $2,500 better off. If it doesn't pass that thousand dollars that I spend is part of the six I got to spend to put on a roof, hiring a contractor and getting a permit and so on. So I'll end up spending 5,000 more or be 2,500 worse off. So I took a risk that I might be 2,500 better off, might be 25 worse off, and it paid off. And I bought that house and it actually only spent it about 800 between the contractor and the permit. So I came out $2,700 better off on the most recent house that I bought because of something I learned about open permits on the very first house I bought. So, so basically what you're saying is that even though you know that bad experience actually turned into a fruitful experience for future deals, right? It did. And it's done that for three other deals too. I just told you the story of the most recent one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Nadir, so what would be your advice to someone trying to get, you know, their first deal, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a good question. The, the interesting thing is that, of course, when you're looking for your very first deal, many thoughts cross your mind is are the numbers right and am i guessing correctly you know even though you got a formula you may have taken a class you may know exactly how to say hey it needs new windows and here's an estimate of what windows are going to cost and it needs a new roof and here's an estimate of what roof's going to cost and flooring and paint and kitchen and bathrooms you might be able to work all that out but until you've actually done it 
you're scared whether or not your numbers are going to be right. You know, you, you, you did every, you did everything it says in the book or in the class, but did I really calculate the numbers? Right. So I would definitely, if you're planning to rehab it yourself, not only doing the numbers myself, but I would in inside my inspection period, I'd get a contractor there to give me a quote to make sure that I have priced my repairs. Right. Um, and then, you know, people talk about how hard it is to find a deal. And it's not easy to find a deal. We, we have, uh, I believe I own 14 properties right now. And I've got one sold that closes the day after tomorrow and one that had its inspection today. And if everything goes well, it's scheduled to close May 31st. And I have two under contract to buy. So while I'm going to be getting rid of two here shortly, I'll be adding two as well. But I... Uh, but, but early on, how do you find a deal? And I had somebody ask me, you know, how do you find all your deals? And that's a, a different question I'll answer in a minute. But I found my first six deals without spending a dime other than the money I spent on my classes to learn what I'm doing. But I didn't, wow. I didn't, I didn't spend any money on direct mail. I didn't, I didn't do anything that cost money in marketing. It just cost time. And they were all mirrors of how I told you about the very first one, networking with people on Facebook. Wow. I, I, I bought my first six deals all through either a wholesaler or a retailer. And I just got out there and networked with people. And, and uh, you know, part of the adage of being a successful real estate investor or anything else is to fake it till you make it, you know, act confident. When we sold our second house, one of my uh staff I, and I, and I, one thing I did different than other people because I already owned a company is I hired somebody right away to work for me but when you uh, one of my staff went on their Facebook page and said hey we just sold our second house and I called him and said take that down we don't want anybody to know we've only done two <laughs> <laughs> say something else we just sold our first house in the Eagles which is the neighborhood it was located in you know yeah <laughs> you know say something else to brag about the deal being done, but don't say it's our second deal ever. You know? uh, so I never lied about how many deals I did, but I, but I used language that didn't say I'm trying to do my first deal uh, and, and, and didn't say I'm trying to do my second or my third or my fourth deal. So networking to me was, was the number one way to find a deal. Uh, you may pay a little more than if you had found it through direct mail or some other method and, and you're dealing directly with the homeowner. Uh, I've certainly made better deals when I deal directly with a homeowner and I'm not paying a middleman, but paying a middleman for a deal is more comfortable to a beginner than paying for direct mail when you don't have a deal yet <laughs> or, or, or paying for any kind of lead source when you don't have a deal yet. Now, you do have to do those lead sources. I believe in them. I've done them. And ultimately, when I, I was at a networking meeting and somebody asked me at the moment, I owned 18 properties. I says, how do you how do you find your deals? And I thought about it and answered a couple of questions. And then a week later, I was at a different networking meeting and somebody asked me the same thing. So I went home and researched it and wrote a little blog about it and shared of the 18 deals we had at that moment where they came from. And they came from nine different sources. So the point when my best source was still social media and there's two aspects to social media, uh, people finding us on social media and us finding people on social media. So I might see somebody else talking about a deal and I reach out to them or I go on there and, and I say, I, one of my employees, Braden, goes on there as me and brags about what we're doing. Hey, we just closed another deal. Hey, we just did that. And ultimately, other investors will reach out to me because of that. So I, um, 
we found four deals where people found us because of us going on social media and bragging about our successes and three deals where we found the deal by looking around on social media and seeing other people talking about properties or advertising them themselves on social media, whatever three, we got through direct mail and then others from a variety of sources, one here, there, you know, one from a, a realtor, two from talking to neighbors. Once you get your first deal and that's, you know, got to get over that hurdle. But once you get your first deal, I, I have now eight times bought a property that you could see from a property I already owned and almost every time an adjacent property to a property I already owned just by getting out and talking to the neighbors and finding out somebody else is looking to sell. So, so kind of like going off of that um, question, I know when we previously talked, you talked about or you told me that your company does everything without you except for the financial side. And I feel like most real estate investors or business owner in that case always have kind of like a, a struggle with leverage. You know, most of them yes. want to do it all themselves. So kind of like what's, what's your, your perspective on that? You bet. And I, I, I have a unique uh, approach to that in that I had owned two other businesses and I had been general manager of one and chief operating officer of another one. So I have, I have worked in a management position where I can't do everything. You know, the, the manufacturing company I owned, we delivered product by the semi truckload. Well, I don't have a license to drive a semi. So I got to trust somebody else to do that job. And uh, and, 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 and I could, I'd move the semis around in the lot when we were desperate and but itself, what we made, I did learn how to operate it. So I could in an emergency, but I didn't go out in the manufacturing plant every day and make product. Somebody else did. So we all recognize that companies succeed by different people doing different tasks. It's just when it's a small company and a startup company, it's hard to trust somebody else to do it. And I share that struggle. I, I, I can do everything better than anybody else. <laughs> you know, that's, everybody thinks I can do that better than that person can do it. But, uh, but, but for doing our marketing, you know, doing the direct mail itself, researching and deciding which list we're going to rent and getting, managing, getting the mail out the door. I don't have to do that. I can pay somebody to do that. Uh, doing the, Social media, I always say if you're on social media, if you go to 365propertypartners.com, our website, or if you go to our Facebook page, that's 365 Property Partners on Facebook, anything that you see that has started dialogue, you see a post by us or a, a, a link to another story going on in Tampa, I didn't do that. Braden Kowalski that works for me did that. Now, if there's a comment out there and there's a comment by us, I probably did the comment. I still get on there and I'll, I'll answer people's questions and interact directly with people. But all of the initiating of that contact, that's Braden's job. I'm, I'm capable of doing it. But if I did all of that, I, I wouldn't have time to sleep. Uh, and so uh, I, I recently uh, went through, I, I borrow a lot of money, private money from one family it's a bar through a business but it's a family-owned business and you know i'm looking at that and going hey if something happened to me what you know what if i died tomorrow what if i got incapacitated tomorrow are they taking care of them i taking good care of their money and i have a good staff in place i have a project manager and i feel confident that every job we own right now would get completed it might or might not get completed exactly the way we had in mind, we, you know, my, my project manager just 
yesterday ordered a kitchen for a rehab house all by himself for the first time. He'd done it with me a few times, but said, you know, and the contractor done it without him sometimes, but for the first time he went and designed the kitchen and ordered all the cabinets and the sinks and the countertop and all that by himself for the first time. Um, and was nervous about that, but he'd get that done. He might not do it exactly the way I would do it, but he, but he understands what our targets are and he'd get it done close enough. So the only aspect of our company that would struggle to go on without me is this family that we borrow most of our private money from is my relationship. If, if I were out of the picture, if I sold you my company, George, that doesn't mean they're automatically going to loan you the money. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they'd have to get to know you to decide if they were going to. So the financial relationships are still based around me. And even I've got an institutional loan. We do some new construction and I've got a company that will loan me the money, all of the money for a new build, assuming it meets a formula, uh, all of the money I need for the new build, if I own the land free and clear, or if whoever has the mortgage on the land is willing to take second position behind them. So, but, but I also have now met the owner of that company. I hadn't when I first borrowed money from them, but I have now, and I have a credit limit with them that grows every time I pay it back. It's between a half a million and a million now, but he, I'm, I'm about to be in a spot where in the next two or three months, I could break ground on four new builds at the same time. But, I would go over my credit limit to do that. I talked to him recently and he said, now don't worry about it. As long as your each house individually meets the criteria, I'll approve you over your credit limit. But that's because he and I have a relationship and I borrowed money and I've paid money back. And so, um, so the financial relationship is, is all me and I'm doing the best I can to get everything else to be done by somebody else. Now I fail at that. Sometimes we had one where the contractor just failed to show up here the one that's under contract to close May 31st. It had a home inspection today. It went under contract last week. And the last 13 days before that house went on the market, I was at that house every day along with one of my employees and one handyman. And I was a laborer. Not ideal, but that's what we had to do to get it done. The contractor failed to show up. We were close to being done. And so I'm thankful I have those skills. I don't ever want to have to use them, but that's the third out of, again, I've done 40 some houses. That's the third time I've had to be the key laborer to get a house finished. So the numbers are working out okay, less than 10% of the time, but I look forward to 0% of the time that I have to be the laborer. Yeah, I can't imagine. Now, Um, deviating a little bit from these questions, I kind of want to get to the financial side of the business because- you know, whether you're doing new builds or rehabbing, there's a lot of money moving around. And I kind of wanted to know, uh, what's your approach for keeping um, the receipts, keeping all this money, the budget, the actual, how do you stay updated the whole time to know exactly how much you have spent and how much you have you know, left to spend? You bet. Good question. Yeah, and it's important to know that because even if you go over budget, sometimes you have to to finish the job, but it's good to know that you did. You know, it's good, good to be on top of that. And I, I use QuickBooks and I have my manufacturing company used QuickBooks. And I had never used it myself before I bought that company in 2007. But during the time that I owned that, I learned it very well. And I had a full-time bookkeeper there, but I learned what I needed to know to run reports and make entries and to do what I needed to do to print checks and those kind of things. So it was just natural for me to use QuickBooks when I bought this company. I already owned it. I already know how to use it and all that. So every one of my houses is its own profit center and every loan I have on a house is its own loan too. So at any given time, if I borrowed a hundred thousand dollars on a house and, and uh, 
this isn't really the way it would work, but let's say I paid 60 for the house and I'm going to spend 40 to rehab it. Well, a 60 is gone immediately because I paid that when I bought it. And as I spend the 40, you start seeing more and more and more invested into the project that is the house and the loan value is increasing. And as I take draws off of that loan, so you've got to be able to look at QuickBooks and both see what's my number on the house and what's my loan value. And, and then of course, long before you got to this point, you had to know what you thought you could sell the house for and what you thought that was going to cost you in realtor fees and closing costs and so on. So at, at any given time, I can run a report or a couple of reports out of QuickBooks, but I'm, I'm rarely setting down to say, how's my business doing? I'm usually setting down to say, how's that house on Willow Avenue doing? <laughs> or how's that house on 19th Street doing? And then you look at that profit center of the house and the loan associated with that. And with those two pieces of information, you can see if you're on track to finish as you think you're going to finish. And, and I keep copies of everything electronically and my computer backs up to the cloud all the time. So any, you know, if I'm unsure, I can go back and look at the promissory note to see how much I committed to borrow, even though I may not have borrowed it all yet, but how much is available to me. And I can go back and look at the contract to see what I paid and go back and look at the research we did to see what we think we're going to be able to sell it for. And I'm constantly rerunning that numbers. Hey, the, the house we just, the house that we're working on right now has a air conditioner that we spent $1,100 to put in some new duct work and get, fix it up and get it running. But I'm not convinced it's any good. It, most of that money was on the duct work and the new vents and things. But I'm afraid I'm going to have to spend money on an air conditioning unit to be able to sell that house. Well, that's going to be two or $3,000 that wasn't budgeted. So usually by the time I'm looking at a QuickBooks report, I already know uh, in my head, hey, we, we've gone over budget on this one. We're going to make less than we thought we're going to make unless we get lucky. And when we're all done, the house is worth more than we thought it was going to be worth. But that that only is driven by if the economy is going in the right direction, because it doesn't matter how nice you finish the house. They're only going to appraise for a certain amount. They're going to come in at the price that that neighborhood will support. Now, those numbers kind of stick in my head because one of my jobs way back in my 20s, which was 30 some years ago, is for a couple of years, I was a high school math teacher. So the, the math side of this comes pretty easy to me. And now, are you doing the whole accounting yourself or do you have someone in your team that helps you with that? Good, good question. I was doing it myself until recently. Um, I, uh, uh, I added a part-time bookkeeper probably seven, eight months ago. Uh, and I was gun shy about adding a bookkeeper, especially a remote bookkeeper, because if, if I get a bill in and I've got to scan that bill and email it, to my bookkeeper, well, in that same amount of time, I can enter it in QuickBooks and pay it. So I'm going, <laughs> why, why do I want to pay somebody to do bookkeeping when I can do this? But the, 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 the beauty that worked out for me on that is uh, my project manager, somebody I've known since I moved to Florida in the early 90s. He's the first person I met that didn't have anything to do with my job that moved me down here. And um, went to church with him for many, many years. And we live in different places and go to different churches but he was looking for work and i hired him a little over a year ago to be my project manager and for many years his wife was our church's bookkeeper and she now works for a title company so she is my part-time bookkeeper so i don't have to scan bills and so on i just throw them in his inbox in the office and he takes them home got it 
So yeah. you found a way. So I found a way to do that without having to take up my time to get the information over to the bookkeeper. Now, I still print all the checks. So if something needs to be printed, she may enter it and then send me an email saying, hey, there's a check in there. Like the, the guy that mows all the lawns, every one of our rehab projects, everything. There's a guy that does that for us. And, and um, we, you know, I send him a check once a month and it's driven by how many lawns we own that, that month. And she'll enter that. Uh, but our project manager, who happens to be her husband, is the one who knows the answer to how much he should be paid. <laughs> so he tells her, hey, this, we owe him $425 this month. And she'll process a check. But then I, she'll send me an email and I got to go pull it up at home and print a check. I, I could choose to put those checks at her house, but I, I haven't given up that much control yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's pretty smart, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it's been helpful to have her because when she, before she was my bookkeeper, I of course got people paid on time. A bill comes in and got it paid. But when we would sell a house and you got to do the bookkeeping that goes with the closing statement, I'd have three or four of those pile up and the bank statements wouldn't get reconciled for three or four months. And then one day I'd spend all weekend catching up on the books. You know, I, I, I could tell how much is in the bank account, but QuickBooks didn't always match what the bank said because I had entries I hadn't made checks printed automatically run it in QuickBooks, but something I paid over the phone with a debit card that took the money right out of that banking account wasn't paid. And anything that pays automatically the call rail for our uh, phone numbers and Pat live for that answers our incoming phone calls and those things, they get paid automatically every month and somebody has got to record those. And when it wasn't me doing it sometime or when it was me, sometimes I'd pay them for three months in a row before I'd record all three of those payments. So, uh, so it's made my life a little less hectic, uh, having a bookkeeper and a part-time bookkeeper as, as you know, be in your industry, doesn't cost you a lot. It's not a, it's not a fortune. If you don't know bookkeeping, fortunately I knew how to do it. If you don't know it, I'd hire a part-time bookkeeper very early on in the process. Yeah. Cause you early on realize, or later on realize that that time that you were using to update your books could have been used elsewhere, right? Either for absolutely. Your and, 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 and that's, yeah, absolutely. Either in the business or in the family, because I'd let it pile up during business hours. And then I'd end up stealing it from my wife. I would, I would spend that time on the weekend catching up on bookkeeping and don't have to do that anymore. Well, kind of as we're getting into like the end of, of, of our podcast, I kind of want to ask you this question to see what would be your perspective. You know, how much has mindset played a role in your success in real estate? Oh, uh, it's, it's huge because as, as you ask, you know, I failed on my first one and of course it wasn't my first sale, but the first one I bought, I lost money on. And of the, all the ones I've done, I've lost money all total on three houses, two of them, small amounts, one of them, a significant amount. But if you didn't believe there was opportunity and you didn't believe you could figure out what went wrong and do better the next time, it would be easy to get down on that and, and, and fail. And, and, I, and, and going into it, even, you know, new investors struggle with uh, what I refer to, and I didn't make this up, but the abundance versus the scarcity mentality of if, you know, if, if I go to a new investor meeting, a networking meeting, and there's 10 people there who are thinking about getting into this, and there's 20 people there who are active investors, is there really room for me? Um, 
but but I look at that in the Tampa Bay area, about an hour's drive from where I live in any direction, and that's only in three directions. Before you go an hour uh, west of me, you're in the water. But you know, you drive an hour's drive in any direction from me, there are about three million people that live in that uh, metropolitan area, and and statistics tell us that if there's three million people, there's about a hundred a million and a half. Uh, housing units, family units. We some people live by themselves, some people have large families, but we average right around two per house. And in it, this varies by market, but in our market, a little over a third of that population lives in apartments, and two thirds of it lives in a home that they own, or they might be renting a home, but it's still a single family home. So that three million got down to a million and a half housing units and a million houses. Okay, well, if there's a, a million houses, then um, every, I think everybody would agree that every 50 years, a house ought to be updated and probably more often than that. But, but if a house hasn't had any work done on it in 50 years, it's, it's definitely time to do that again. So if you look at a million houses divided by 50 years, that's 20,000 houses a year. And you divide that by 50 weeks in a year. And I know there's 52, but not everybody works 365 days a year like we do, but that's, that's 400 houses a week that are turning 50 years old. Wow. <laughs> Love, so, the math. Love the math. Yeah. yeah. So, so you look at that 400 houses a week or, or, you know, if you, if you work six days a week, as a lot of investors do work six or seven, cause they have another full-time job and they're doing a little bit in the evening. But if you, if you put that out there at six days a week, that's 60 some uh, houses a day. And, and, and I'm only buying a couple of houses a month. So until, let's see, six, so it's 400, until I can buy 200 times as many houses as I'm doing right now, and that day will never come. Yeah. I'm not going to build a company that big. So until I can do 200 times as many houses as I'm currently capable of, we're not running out of houses that need rehabbed in the Tampa Bay area. Wow. I, I love the perspective you put into it, you know, backed it up with numbers. Yeah. So there's just, there's plenty of opportunity. You just got to go find that opportunity. And when you start looking, even when I first began, my wife would said of that very first house that we bought for 107,500 and we ultimately sold it for 236,000. But she said, how can a house that's worth 200,000, why would anybody sell it for you for a hundred? But once she was in it, she could see why somebody would sell it to me for a hundred. Everything was wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and, and so there, there are lots of houses that need lots of work. And I, I recently bought one from a lady that was in her 80s and passed away. And both her son, his wife, and two of her grandchildren were realtors. So they know the business, but they also knew her house was updated, needed updated. And it was very well kept. It was a very nice 50s house with a very nice 50s kitchen that I felt bad about tearing out. You know, sometimes the kitchen is so decrepit, you can't wait to tear it out. This was in good condition, but nobody wants to buy a house in that range. So we, we tear that out, took down a wall to open it up to the living room area and created an entirely different house and a house that we bought essentially for 200. We sold for 327. And uh, after everything that we spent on it, made about 35,000 on that deal. And, um, you know, and on TV, they would say, you bought it for 200, you spent 60 on the rehab, you sold it for 
327, you made $67,000, but it doesn't work that way. You don't make all that. There's the cost of money and there's closing costs and there's realtor fees and insurance and taxes while you own it. There's a lot of things that the TV shows about flipping don't tell you about the expenses that are realistic. But, but anyway, we made in the, somewhere in the thirties on that house that, that we sold for 137,000 more than we paid for it. Um, but that, that property went from a nice house that was dated to a nice house that was modern. Most of the houses I buy go from a horrible house that's dated mm-hmm. to a nice house that's modern. You know? um, it, in, in fact, it's, it's tough to tear out a good kitchen or a good bathroom that's just out of date. You know, the, everything works. Uh, it's just a pink bathroom or an avocado green bathroom. You know? <laughs> It's it was put in in the seventies, and it's time to go and put in a new modern one that's mostly white and a little bit of gray and what everybody's looking for these days. So, I want to thank you so much for your time um, here with us. Thank you for all the information you provided with the, to us. And um, where can people learn more about you? Um, yeah, you can you can go to our website, which is. 365propertypartners.com, property singular partners is plural.com. You can find us, interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. And Facebook, our page is 365 Property Partners. I think our Twitter handle is 365 Rehabs, but I'm not 100% certain of that. But there's a link to it from our Facebook page. And the reason I'm not certain is because somebody else handles that. <laughs> I'm not the one. Of course, of course. Uh, I'm not the one that's on there. But but from our Facebook page, you can absolutely reach out to us, send us a message. Uh, you know, I, I have, I, I, I used to be a teacher many, many years ago. And if, if we were a socialist society and every job paid the same, I'd probably still be a high school teacher. I love doing that. I just couldn't raise my family on, uh, on what that paid. And so I, I, I got into other businesses and uh, enjoyed getting into this one. But I, I love to help people. I've, I've helped two or three other new investors here locally find their first deal or solve problems for them, connect them with a guy who can prune a tree, a guy who can level out the gravel driveway, you know, whatever kind of contractors are looking for things that I found on my own when I got started and I'm happy to help other people find them. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. Yeah, you bet. I've enjoyed this. Uh, I, I, I always look forward to talking to people about it and I've enjoyed talking with you and hope to, some people take a valuable lesson out of this and, Hope it encourages people to know there's real opportunity out there. Even if you haven't found your first deal yet and you're struggling, keep looking. There are plenty of deals to be had. You just got to hunt them down. Thank you so much, Sherry. Okay. Thank you.